Hey everybody, we're back for the third installment of the Journey Up and Entrepreneur's Guide. Uh, our guest today, I'm super excited to have on. He's from Navarre Beach in Florida. He is also um, last year ranked top 10 MLO in the state of Georgia and uh, also a fellow Florida State alumni. So we're super excited to have him on the podcast today. Um, welcome Chandler Pereira. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How's it going? Excited to be here. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, in the journey up an entrepreneur's guide, we always have, um, you know, our guests share their anabasis or, you know, their story of their journey up through, you know, life and business and things. So I'd really like to hear from you just to get started, um, you know, leading into your story, uh, you know, kind of your childhood and, and leading into kind of, you know, where you are today in, in business. Yeah, of course. Um, so growing up, uh, whenever I got into high school, trying to figure out, you know, what do you want to do next? Go to college, go to the military, start a career. Um, I knew I always wanted to go to college. That was like a big goal of mine. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted an education of some sort and to go explore that side of life. I didn't have means to do it really. Um, so I ended up joining the military as a way to, you know, gain access to benefits like the GI Bill mm -hmm. and get that paid for. So coming out of high school, I did four years in the military. I got stationed in Colorado, got deployed to Kuwait and Iraq. Yeah, went back to Colorado. Following my time in the military, I yeah, went tell back me a little bit about you know your deployment. Okay, so in the military, I joined as an infantryman. I was actually in basic at Fort Benning in Georgia, uh -huh. stationed in Colorado. Did about a year of training out there. Deployed to Kuwait and Iraq. Um, it was kind of a downtime over there, but how long were you out there in uh, Iraq? Uh, February of 2015, we left, and I came back November 11th. 2015 so a little over nine months nine months um, okay yeah and a lot of it we were just on security out there um so majors would come into the safer side of kuwait it's a small country they would come up to camp Buring, which is where i spent a lot of my time it's about a mile off the border of iraq yeah um majors would come up we'd fly them into baghdad provide protection and then we would fly them back and you were what like 19 at the time uh when i deployed i was 20 i turned 21 while i was there okay before i came back so, I mean, being that young and being deployed overseas, obviously that's a, a big change from, you know, growing up in Florida. What yeah. was, what was, what was that like? Kind of the, the differences and, um, you know, what you learned, the, you know, being in the military and actually you know, being deployed overseas. Um, it was definitely culture shock. Yeah. Um, a lot of discipline came from it. I think I personally need discipline in my life mm -hmm. and routine and structure. Like I, no one ever kind of ingrained that in me growing up. Yeah, right. More of an individual individual didn't know like kind of what i wanted to do uh -huh. so it kind of ingrained in me fitness which i still carry to this day which you know provides part of that structure in your daily routine right yeah um and then also it kind of teaches you how to like fit in mm -hmm. to a mass amount of people that come from different backgrounds and different ways of life and you know how to accept people as a whole right you know there's you're working with 35 year olds from samoa or yeah 18 year olds from new york or you know people from all different walks of life um, that's so got to really be a big melting pot. Yeah, it's a big melting pot. That's very strict, very disciplined, rule oriented. It teaches you a lot of teamwork, camaraderie. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably a special type of bond too, like you said, coming from all different walks of life and then all coming together. Um, you know, you kind of have to have each other's back. So I'm sure you probably do you still like stay in touch with any of the guys that uh, maybe you went through boot camp with, or maybe you were deployed with today, or. Yeah, not boot camp as much. I have a couple of friends on like Facebook. We like each other's posts and things like that. Like yeah. we wish each other happy birthday. 
Um, I'm closest to people I was stationed with and deployed with. We actually got to like talk to each other and basically you don't get to talk to each other. Right. Like you're kind of silent the whole time. So yeah. More of an experience fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, but being deployed with someone, you know, sleeping next to someone for nine months and, you know, going through the same things of not being able to talk to your family, no internet. Yeah. Sweating it out, kind of going yep. through the suck of it. Enjoy it and embracing the suck is like what we would say. What you were, know, you have that bond. Yeah. hundred percent. What were like some, um, like mentally how how was boot camp though because i mean i've always heard stories about people that you know say they can't believe they're doing it or maybe they you know want to get out like what like what were you going through mentally throughout boot camp because obviously that i'm sure that's like a you know was do you think that was like one of like the hardest things you've been through in your life or or how was that for you um i'm a pretty in shape guy so like the physicality of it i don't right. think was the toughest thing I ever went through yeah there's some people who show up out of shape and you can definitely tell like long runs and things like that like we had to definitely support them and they were getting like chewed out and mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> disciplined appropriately but um really just a mental like you go in there you like lose your name you're just a number mm -hmm. you can't talk to anybody you're like dead silent like you have no friends you have no family like right you're like okay i'm kind of like a machine mm -hmm. i have a strict routine you're getting yelled at so it's really just a mental game mm -hmm. it teaches you like forge ahead you know there's an end goal right until you kind of get over like the shock factor like that first week we call it hell week yeah um you kind of get into the routine of things it's not the funnest by any means but i mean it definitely gets you ready you learn a lot of information over a short amount of time so uh -huh. you know it's very productive for you and like you learn a lot right and were, were you infantry or what was, I was your, infantry what was, yeah. did you have a specialty that uh, i was you focused on uh, i was infantry and then when i got to my base i was just in a regular infantry platoon Mm -hmm. And then towards my end, I got in a sniper recon platoon, okay. and that's who I served with overseas. Okay. So I was with a lot of scouts, and those were kind of the guys I had, like, my deepest bond with. Okay. I actually came back and lived with a few of them for my last year in the military. Okay. Oh, nice. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, you know, after the military, um, you transitioned and used your GI Bill to go over to FSU. Yeah. So instantly, I knew I wanted to go to college. That was, yeah. mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to serve for a long time, uh -huh. um, but I wanted to Get, like the benefits of it and i didn't mind serving in the meantime to you know mm -hmm. pay for college i wanted to go debt free i didn't want to take on a lot of debt i have a paid off car things like that right so i paid off my car while i was in the military that was important for me and then it's good to keep your expenses low when you go to college yeah, exactly exactly so then i got out and then i um, came back to florida and i chose to go to florida state very veteran friendly school our old president was actually a veteran he was actually stationed at the same base i was in fort carson okay um thrasher um but yeah came back to florida state i originally wanted to be a dentist but I just, really yeah i don't I started, know if i could <laughs> if i could see that yeah so after be, being friends with you for so many years yeah yeah so i started out as a bio major i didn't have much direction i just had an idea of what i wanted to do uh -huh. more or less you have to kind of pick something mm -hmm. so after going into that for a year or two kind of realized it wasn't i wasn't passionate about it i didn't want to like hit the books and learn chemistry like right. it just didn't click per se um and then just you know interested in finance you know you're you're about that age like you're i was 22 23. Mm -hmm. um i took up a lot of like interest in personal finance i'd watch like a lot of youtube channels like graham stefan andrew jick you know just trying to figure out life i'm on my own running an apartment mm -hmm. yeah you know trying to figure out like what the next step in life is um so that kind of naturally transitioned me to look into economics and business yeah um and then going through those classes i started learning about real estate i realized you know real estate's a great way to you know build wealth and set mm -hmm. up my future and mm -hmm. my family's future um so through that i ended up getting my real estate license 
through a course and then through the real estate course, I actually learned about mortgages. Mm-hmm. I'd never been exposed to mortgages. My family didn't really ever own homes. Yeah. Right. So having a, you know, a passion for personal finance at that point, learning about mortgages and I'm kind of like numbers. Uh-huh. It's like, this is something I really want to dive into and not many people do. Um, so I just kind of took that head on, got my MLO license my senior year right after my real estate license. Uh-huh. Um, and that kind of set me up to start searching for jobs my senior year of college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. What were some of like the things you were talking about investing? You were learning about, you know, real estate and stuff. Were you doing any like other personal investments throughout college? Like, was there anything that you were, you know, putting your money into? Yeah. So my, I know you did professional photography for a while, right? Yeah, I did professional photography. So um, I got a job whenever I got to college as a leasing agent. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, so that kind of got me into the real estate world as well. Um, but through that, um, we'll sidetrack. I met a guy named Boza. Uh-huh. And he was working at clubs in Tallahassee at the time. He was a okay. photographer. And I really liked what he did. I grew up skateboarding, so I knew how to like make skate videos growing up. I knew I could do the same thing he was doing. And he looked like he was having fun, making yeah. good money, running his own business. Yeah. Um, so at the leasing company, after I met him, I saved up and bought like my first camera setup. That was probably like my first investment yeah. in college. What camera was it? Uh, a Canon 5D Mark IV. Okay. Yeah. Those aren't cheap. <laughs> no, it wasn't cheap. I like I saved up for like probably five, six months. Yeah. And then I just put it all into that. I was like, all right, I'm going to go full swing at this. Uh-huh. Um, started like marketing towards businesses, just cold approaching people at mm-hmm. bars and restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, booked a few gigs, started doing grad photos. So while everyone's partying and stuff, you're in there with your camera taking pictures and videos for all the, the yeah. bars and the nightclubs and stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they got me into sports too. I do like FSU football, FSU mm-hmm. basketball. So really um, your whole business and lead generation and photography when you were in college was just cold going into yeah, different establishments and going right to them and saying hey do you need this i'm i'm ready to work well a lot of it i would do for free at first okay yeah. so like for fsu basketball i approached like terrence man yeah. on the clippers now yeah. but i was like hey man i see you you're great at basketball do you yeah. want anyone to come take photos of you like you care about social media it's going to help you promote your business uh-huh um like i'll do it for free just to just to feel good yeah and have some it, content you know, build a relationship right that turned into me shooting for fsu basketball on the uh-huh during games you were on the court during yeah, games yeah. yeah that's pretty cool and then same awesome. with like um recess uh-huh. you know just approach christian caban mm-hmm. uh the owner at the time and i believe still owner today and just uh, have me out one night i'll take photos owns, for free i think i think he owns clyde's and warehouse now so mm-hmm. i think he's got a whole yeah, good for kind him. Of conglomerate and then the same idea just approach like let me take some photos if you like them uh-huh. you know awesome have me back if you don't you know hard feelings and i did that to like build my book of business who were some like notable, um, you know, you're, you're taking pictures at nightclubs and bars and venues and, and, and sports, sports games and stuff. Who were like some notable people that you have like individual pictures of or people that you worked with that someone listening now would know? Um, I got really into like the music scene. So I'd end up uh-huh. going to like music festivals. Mm-hmm. It's like Hippie Sabotage, Lil mm-hmm. Baby, uh, Lil Yachty, 21 Savage, mm-hmm. um, Terrence Mann. And then didn't I, I, I'll call you out on it, but Lil Baby used your your picture for his profile picture for like a year or something yeah, like that. Totally. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was, was cool. cool. That, that was is pretty cool. cool. Yeah, it was cool to make money that way. And then um, I was watching personal finance videos at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was um, also in an intro or macro economics class. Uh-huh. And I'm learning about investing in the stock market and doing different things. Yeah. The market's about to crash. My professor's calling it while we're watching him play with his portfolio yeah so i was like okay cool i need to i need to like put my money here that i'm getting now uh-huh. i already have my camera and set up 
So I started investing in like the stock market. I got really into crypto. Um, I kind of did that for like my last few years. Mm-hmm. That built me up a little nest mm-hmm. pot to, you know, go attack something post-college. 100%. How would you say that, um, you know, that experience, uh, you know, prepared you for mortgages and, you know, the real business world that you're in now afterwards? Um, so the mortgage business, whenever I first got into it, I was in a call center. Mm-hmm. So I did inside sales. So it wasn't uh-huh. quite like building your book of business. Exactly. I was more, I love the role I had at first. It was honestly a blessing looking back at it. Uh-huh. Um, just because rates were really low. Everybody was refinancing. I was in a call center where we. Mm-hmm. What company was that? Fiber. Fiber. That was Fiber. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But you were on the inside. It was like side. a different side of things. Uh-huh. Rates were low. We'd send out all these mailers. Uh-huh. They would call in and say, hey, we, I see you're advertising a 2% rate. Can I refi? So uh-huh. it gave me a lot of reps and like structuring loans and like about like the process. You're uh-huh. probably doing a ton of refinances with that 2%. Yeah, yeah. Like I think my top month I did 27. Jeez. Like September of 2021. It's a good month. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so just getting all those reps was really great for learning how to do my trade. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then that was my first six months getting out of college. 21. Yeah. Mm-hmm. December, January starts hitting rates start going up. Yeah. So, you know, Fiber had to take a position to say, you know what, we can't keep refinancing people with rates going up. Like the market's not here. Uh-huh. You know, we're all salary positions at that time, slight bonuses, things like that. Yeah. Um, they're like, okay, let's transition you guys to doing outside sales. We're uh-huh. building a book of business. Yeah. Um, so at that point, that's kind of where like the photography stuff kicked in. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, before I would just call people or like introduce myself and try to go meet them, build a relationship, and right. get in there mm-hmm. that way. Um, so at that time I just started cold calling, uh, realtors in Atlanta. Cause I'm not from there. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Um, and just saying, Hey, come get coffee with me. Come grab lunch. You had moved to Atlanta after, after college. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I went to Atlanta, Atlanta for a job. Honestly, I was applying around for jobs. I uh-huh. lined up one, um, I won't name the company, but, um, it was all set up and then they had like layoffs and my hiring manager got fired and it was mm-hmm. kind of a messy situation. Yeah. So towards the last two months of college, um, my buddy Greg was working with fiber in atlanta uh-huh. and doing the same role i wanted to do so i reached out to him you know mutual connection he put me in touch with the ceo had a good interview seemed like a great fit i wanted to be in the south a big city mm-hmm. yeah I just kind of i was willing to go anywhere to kind of do what i wanted to do yeah, yeah. that makes sense mm-hmm. so i thought it was pretty interesting that you said that um in the outside sales role pretty much your only form of lead generation was cold calling people and meeting people face to face and kind of building relationships with people would you say that that's in your opinion the best way to build your book of business getting started um or have you used like mailers or any other forms of lead generation um that worked well for you or would you say that's kind of your your go-to from photography leading into mortgages i think in mortgages specifically um it's the best form yeah just because no one comes to me first when they want to get into a real estate transaction right someone knows me personally or someone's really into finance or kind of nerdy or like a one-off person they might Mm -hmm. but most people they go on like zillow or you know they hit up a realtor and say i want to go look at this house Uh and normally that realtor is having that conversation in my eyes yeah like is your financing together yeah Yeah. and then that kind of making the recommendation yeah so you know the loan i go out and i try to meet realtors yeah just offer my services help them out whether it's you know Taking them out, becoming friends, uh-huh. hosted open houses. I've gone door knocking, mm-hmm. partnered up with marketing. So, you know, helping them grow their book of business, providing value that way. And then yeah. they trust in me and they see the work I put in. And then having that business come back to me. Yeah. Because I believe 
insurance is the same way off mortgages uh-huh no one goes to insurance before the house either yeah, right exactly. so normally when i get someone under contract i refer instantly to an insurance guy just because i need insurance to close this loan mm-hmm. uh-huh. so i have a book of people that i can work with that will give me a quote same day yeah i know they work efficiently i can trust them so right it's kind of like a big cycle of people you kind of need to have like interconnected that are working cohesively yeah 100 i totally yeah. agree with that mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome so um you know i know you talked about it a little bit um because you were really focused on the kind of the numbers side of things but i know that you got your real estate license first and then went into mortgages what really was the deciding factor and kind of like your aha moment like this is what i want to do for you know the foreseeable future i want to do mortgages um yeah like why did you not go the real estate agent route even though you were licensed well and you were doing leasing too yeah i was still in college um so i got my real estate license and literally in that course mm-hmm. i learned about the mlo license i didn't know that was a thing mm-hmm. yeah um or i didn't know much about it so i was still in college i was like why don't i take that course too like i was interested in learning more about real estate in general right um so i was like it's not gonna hurt to yeah. take another course it's covid i have like a lot of free time so why not take this course see if i like it if it's not a good fit you know it's yeah. like a couple hundred dollars mm-hmm. whatever i'm just trying to you know find my career path and what i really want to do right i'm mm-hmm. willing to invest in my future so going through that and kind of looking into like what the day-to-day job is and um i believe in personal finance and you know helping people understand numbers because no one ever taught me that i feel yeah. like a lot of people don't know that i help people build credit so mm-hmm. just hearing like the ins and outs of what you do uh-huh. is really important. And then at the same time, um, I forgot my professor's name, but I was in a real estate class at the same time at FSU. Uh-huh. He brought out a guest speaker that he taught maybe 15 years ago. And he was actually a lender now in Tampa. Okay, He does uh, residential, commercial, and private money. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. he's kind of multifaceted. Yeah. But he was just talking about his days and whatnot. And I don't know, I, I grew fond to it and I was really attracted to it. Yeah. One of our... Um, fraternity brothers dad was a lender as well mm-hmm. so i got on a call with him just talked to him about his day-to-day and i, I like the idea of it mm-hmm. um yeah. so i love the job role mm-hmm. one and then two i just like the idea of like i could be anywhere in the world and do it yeah so yeah. eventually you know yeah, you probably have total control of your schedule yeah 100 yeah. percent. like i don't have to be the face of it showing a house per se yeah right? and i wanted to be more of less like the guy that can be a phone call away show mm-hmm. you some numbers so do you work number. from home most of the time uh i work remote yeah mm-hmm. so typically i don't meet a client unless i go to a closing yeah um so if it's local to me i'm licensed in a few states so i can't make it to them all but if they're yeah. in jacksonville i go to it now yeah yeah um but like on a daily basis i go to the office probably four hours a day mm-hmm. uh work from home a good bit a lot of my calls come in the evenings yeah yeah because after five o'clock yeah people, people are... work nine to five uh-huh so a lot of my calls come in the evenings or on weekends so obviously i'm not in the office at that time but i'm available yeah um so i try to make time in my schedule and always have my phone on to answer it and, you know, right help people when they're available 100 yeah. don't you hate whenever you're working with someone and they turn their phone off at five o'clock oh it's impossible yeah. it's impossible <laughs> the worst it is. most uh, people have jobs to me all the people time who want to buy a house if they're right working. they're working all day and they want to yeah. find a house eventually but the only time they're going to have for you is after work or before work and unfortunately those hours aren't the best but whenever you're you know available at those times you never know what uh what deal could be on the other line 100 i imagine the same way with showings with both of you yeah like you can't show yeah. everyone a house at 9 a.m on a tuesday and right. some people are coming from out of state and uh you know that they'll have like time differences and mm-hmm. they will stop replying after five o'clock but that's really like you know three o'clock or you know eight o'clock our time and 
then it takes like days and weeks just to get simple tasks done because mm -hmm. you have that lack of communication. Um, so uh, I know that you, I, I mentioned it before that you were basically top 10 in the state of Georgia for outside sales mortgages, which is incredible, especially from, you know, that short period of time. Um, did you have kind of like a, a moment in your career where you were like, okay, I've, I think I've figured out the secret sauce to my success and how you were able to scale to, you know, one of the top producers in the whole state uh, as an MRO. Um, honestly, at first, my boss taught me about taking people out of coffee dates, just getting mm -hmm. in front of people and talking and introducing yourself and, you know, find out who likes you. I had no business. Yeah. But I also wasn't getting paid. So at first I was just going into the office from nine to five and just cold calling all day. Mm -hmm. Like I was really good at setting appointments to the point where like they would no show at the appointment, but I get them to say yes on the phone. Yeah. yeah. And at a certain point I was having like two, three coffee dates a day. Mm -hmm. So after I was getting people in front of me for a while, a lot of deals started coming in too much to the point to where like I couldn't even handle it. Yeah. I just focused on like producing leads. Uh -huh. I didn't know how to handle them at first. Uh -huh. So whenever that happened, I was like, oh snap, this is like the coffee date does work. Like mm -hmm. along with the realtor does work. Now let's figure out the processes. Uh -huh. And then once I figured out the kind of the process and scheduling and you know, maybe keep meetings in the morning and my afternoons and evenings open. Right. That mm -hmm. way that's kind of where the leads are coming in. Yeah. yeah. Um since then, I got like a processor as well. So I'm an assistant that helps out with some tasks, which is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just kind of keeping at, you know, believing. You say that's in, kind of the key for scaling for you is is to have that processor to be able to assist you with transactions while you're focusing on, on lead generation. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think the main thing in my role is just getting the lead to you, um, whether it's like a pre-approval they need or whatever, just getting them in the door, having the conversation with them. Yeah. That's probably like the number one activity I should be doing. Mm. And then, you know, as you scale up, eventually you have someone that like puts together the pre-approval, looks at docs for you. I'm still doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you have like a purchase contract and you submit it, there's a lot of kind of paperwork that has to be done between the lender as they request more documents and having someone to do all that kind of frees up a lot of your time to yeah. go back to your realtors, have more conversations, find more people, go to open houses. Exactly. Yeah, no, I would, I would definitely, you know, recommend to, Anybody, whether they're in real estate or mortgages or, or whatever they're doing that, you know, if you have the capability to, you know, put somebody by your side and, and pay for an assistant role or a processor role of some kind to, to enact that because, you know, it's going to free up your time to focus, like you said, on, on the business development side of things so that, uh, you know, mundane tasks are, are getting done while you're, while you're focusing on the business development. Getting new leads too, but, um, you mentioned you moved out to Atlanta. Did you, and uh, you bought your first house out there, right? For before work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When How I was first, that process for you being on the inside of it rather than the outside? Um, it wasn't too bad. I knew I wanted to buy a house when I moved to Atlanta. I saved up like some money from college. Yeah. Um, I took the role I took partially because I was getting a salary and I know how loans work. You need a salary. You know, if you have a salary and no debt, which I did through like the military and paying off my car, yeah, you can essentially get a house and rates are at all time low. I'm watching this. I'm like, okay, I need to buy ASAP. Yeah. Um, so I moved out to Atlanta. I rented a bedroom off someone on Facebook for like 400 bucks a month. Mm. I just worked and then like did Uber eats at night, just like saving up as much cash as I could yeah. to buy houses quickly. So after three months, I bought my townhouse in Atlanta, my first property, uh -huh. um, which honestly was a saving grace. Um, because I ended up renting rooms from it. Uh -huh. Whenever I went outside sales, I got rid so of our salary. You were house hacking it, essentially. Yeah. So whenever I went outside sales, 
um, I was house hacking and that kind of kept me afloat while I was building that book of business, uh-huh. which was super helpful. Mm-hmm. It kind of like it's the power of real estate for you and you have properties and cash flow and you get good deals. Um, and that know. was back in 21, correct? Correct. September 21. I so you got a, a pretty decent rate on that. Yeah, I got a 2.25 on that. Jeez. Okay. That's low. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you just recently filled that too, right? Um, it's on the market at the moment. Oh, We're looking for a renter. Okay. Yeah, hopefully in the next Because you just so. moved here to Jacksonville. Yeah. I moved here five, six weeks ago now. Yeah. How are you yeah. liking it so far? It's nice, man. I love it. I moved to San Marco. Yeah. It's a nice area. Didn't spend any time in this part of Jacksonville before. Always went to the beach mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, to visit you. Yeah. And you. Um, <laughs> but no, Riverside, San Marco, it's a beautiful area. It's up and coming. Putting a ton of money in downtown. So I feel like it's a great place to invest your money. Yeah. Um, I, I put I one agree. of my units on Airbnb because I bought a triplex and there's people coming every day, which is awesome to see. It's a great area, great location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys actually helped me buy it too, which I'm appreciative of. That was fun. That was a that was a that was a dog fight kind of there for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But we got to the finish line. 100. percent It was actually the first house we looked at, or the first house I was interested in. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then it got under contract, um, and then it was under contract way too long on MLS, uh-huh. and we just kept bugging the listing agent. Hey, if anything goes wrong, Let call us, call us, call us. Yeah. And then before they put it back on the market, we got it off the market, secured, and mm-hmm. uh-huh. fought our way to the finish line with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you had some some issues with that, and you ended up having to restructure the financing. Um, mm-hmm. What what happened? Yeah, so essentially, my buddy was going to buy it, and put it in his name uh-huh. um, with an FHA loan. Mm-hmm. So whenever you buy a house through FHA loan, if it's three or four units, mm-hmm. um, the rent has to be so high as a percentage of the mortgage payment. I think it's seventy five percent. Yeah. So yeah. to keep numbers easy, let's say your house brings in 4k in rent uh-huh they'll give you a 75 they'll times that by 0. 0.75 mm-hmm. so they'll say you get 3k in rent mm-hmm. if your mortgage payment is above that number they won't let you close on it so right now it's really hard it's a really old rule from like 2011 okay so with interest rates being really so they high, won't even let you use like your income to qualify for the additional um no you know, yeah, payment yeah. on the mortgage yeah so i mean he could float the whole mortgage it's just fha rule this doesn't uh-huh. happen not self-sufficient is what they yeah. call it. Um, so with high interest rates and higher purchase prices today, mm-hmm. most nicer triplexes and quads, especially in Florida and Atlanta, it's hard to get by that rule. Yeah. Um, which is awesome because conventional just changed yeah. yep. a couple of days ago to where you could put five percent down um on yeah, a triplex actually, and quad and you don't have to have that rule to pass. And you talked can, about that on our last episode actually. Yeah, so that's very awesome because before it was fifteen percent. Uh-huh. So FHA mm-hmm. was definitely the way to go. Right. Three and a half. Um but the FHA didn't work for us for, for that reason. So uh-huh. I put it in my name. I got a VA loan on it. Um, I was able to you know, get it closed. A couple of yeah. issues popped up with like some damages. VA is a little bit pickier, mm-hmm. that and type so, of thing. But you were able to use the VA loan on your first house and your second house. You can use that. How many times can you use a VA loan if someone doesn't know that's watching? So it gets really complicated with the math, mm-hmm. but there's something called entitlement. Right. So to keep numbers easy, let's say you can have a million dollars worth of loans mm-hmm. VA. Um, on my first home, let's say I use 300,000 right now, if I'm moving, like you can't just buy one, two, three month after month, but let's say, you know, you buy a home, tend to live there as your primary, which you have to do with a VA mm-hmm. home. You have to stay there for 12 months. Yeah. So it's, it's more about intention. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like wording on it or right. set time frame, but you know, if you're buying a house one month and then you buy the neighbor's house the next month, it's going to be like, Hey, what's going on here? Yeah. It's a little weird, but if you move to Atlanta for a job live there for two years and then you're moving to a new state and study for a job 
that's a pretty normal thing of life. Right. Yeah. Or maybe you have kids and you have a two bedroom and now you need four. Right. You can move down the block, that, that sort of thing. Um, but if you have leftover entitlement, mm -hmm. you can get another VA loan. If you don't have enough, you might have to put down like a bigger down payment. Per right. Se. But mm -hmm. um, each city has its own different entitlement levels mm -hmm. and they base it off the number of units too. Okay. So on a triplex, you have more entitlement and you can go higher in dollars than on a single family. Yeah. Got um, it. And then, you know, Miami probably would have higher entitlement than like Kansas. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Now, when you were working on closing that, they were only using the projected long term lease rents when you were looking at the financing from the VA standpoint, but now you're doing Airbnb instead. Mm -hmm. So how is that kind of different for you? Because obviously long-term leases have a little bit less management um, and, you know, Airbnbs, you're actively managing that every single day. Um, how is that process in, you know, furnishing, getting the Airbnb on the market and kind of building your client list to, you know, now you're, you're, you're cash flowing um, you know, decently well on the property. So I wanted to hear a little bit more. Uh, yeah, of course. So any type of loan you buy kind of through like conventional methods, conventional VA, FHA, they're always going to use long-term leases uh -huh. because mm -hmm. they need something strict on paper that works. Yeah. Um, and they're going to have an appraiser go out there to tell you what that long-term rent is and compare that to the leases. So they verify a few different ways to make sure that numbers make sense for you. Uh -huh. Whenever someone says they Airbnb it, you know, it gets kind of complicated just because, you know, how much are they writing off? How much are they paying other people to run it? Right. So it's kind of a sketchier, more risky loan. Some lenders do it, but they require bigger down payments or have different requirements. So it's not the easiest way to get, you know, conventional financing on. But um, checking out when we bought the property, the long-term rents made sense to where um, after the other two units were rented, I would have to come out of pocket almost 700 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. So pretty close numbers there to live in a nice area. It's lower than I could rent somewhere. Yeah. Um, so putting one of the units on Airbnb, we thought we could make even more money and maybe, you know, cash flow while keeping one unit yeah um it's been up on airbnb for three weeks four weeks yeah going on and it's been i got five star reviews maybe like six seven reviews it's booked like 70 80 percent this month already and half of next month's already booked that's a great that's occupancy awesome. rate yeah. honestly yeah so it's kind of crushing it i think a lot to do with the area uh -huh. yeah. a lot of people come in and they say not all of them say what they're here for uh -huh. a lot will say you know i'm coming for this concert or I'm coming for Georgia, Florida this weekend, which is close to the stadium. You're or, like a 10 minute drive to the stadium and like 10 minutes to Veterans Memorial Arena. Yeah, you're right there in yeah, the mix of it exactly. all. Exactly. Have someone come in for Thanksgiving. They have family here in Jacksonville and they mm -hmm. just needed a place for their kids. Right. Um, so it's just, I think, great location, great opportunity. Yeah. yeah 100%. Sure. Totally agree. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, kind of your, your goal setting uh, and how you do you transition that into your business so wanted to hear from you um you know what kind of goals were you setting for yourself whenever you were working on your your mlo business and what kind of goals do you have now and do you have any you know expectations for the future when i first started on the outside of things um my goal was to meet 10 realtors a week mm -hmm. that was like my number one i didn't care what happened i want to meet 10 realtors whether it's yeah going to open house um, cold calling, getting coffee, Facebook, LinkedIn, friend of a friend, mother's aunt, cousin. I needed to talk to 10 realtors a week. That was like yeah. my number one. Like I was, if I know enough, you know, I'll get some to trickle in one way or another. Uh -huh. So that was my main goal then. And that ended up working. I had to tone that back because it gets kind of overwhelming at a certain point. <laughs> um, but it's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. So in Atlanta, I built up my business that way and that worked very well. 
I'm new to Jacksonville, so mm-hmm. I still have the original book of business kind of coming in. Mm-hmm. But now I want to grow Jacksonville. I'm not being as aggressive with it. Mm-hmm. My goal is to meet one to two realtors a week mm-hmm. here in Jacksonville or like St. Augustine surrounding areas. Right. Just so, you know, I can supplement that, but I'm not taking away from the time I'm spending on pre-approving or working on my other clients. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just I feel like you always got to keep meeting people. 100%. Like you, you guys have probably seen that a lot of people are getting out of the business. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, 100%. working with realtors, some of those are leaving or not working as much. So have you been seeing a lot of like your um, realtors that you've worked with in the past starting to like kind of dip off? Like, um, do you have like, did you have like a handful of them that you work with directly and now they're just kind of ghost? Ever since I started, I've had fallout every month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe like one or two person that's like on my list. Maybe we don't talk a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe we never worked, but like we follow each other. I see what they're doing. And are those um, like, are they like coming to you directly? Like, hey, Chandler, I know I've been using you as, as my lender for a few months, but it's just rough right now. Like, what are those, like, what are those conversations look like? Are, are they kind uh, of blaming the market and, and leaving the industry? Some people, the conversation of like, this is tough. I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe like a lack of direction or they're brand new, which yeah. I think is normal in any role. You get into something, you don't know what it is. And then, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you head on the way out. Well, I yeah. think that, not to cut you off, but I think a lot of people too know that you can make a lot of money in real estate, but also can't really have that discipline like you talked about in the beginning of this to kind of you know stick it out whenever it gets hard and know that it's you know it's a long-term game it's not like a get rich quick scheme yeah it's tough especially if you have like bills or a family like i was i was lucky enough to just you know be by myself my Mm -hmm. house kind of cash flow i had no debt so i was able to tough it out but i did work with people that like even on the mlo side that had families and like Mm -hmm. They have to make decisions. Like, yeah, yeah. It's hard to just start with no income coming. It's like starting a new business. Yeah, right. exactly. So, I mean, you have to have kind of six to twelve months of uh, nest egg, yeah. ready to ready to be able to cover bills to kind of build that book of business from the beginning. Because a lot of people don't realize that whenever you're first starting out, you're probably not going to close anything or make any money for the first, you know, six to twelve months, depending on you know how well you do. Some people do it in three um yeah, but, it took me about i had some trickle from like when i was doing inside sales uh-huh. that still were like hitting like months into outside just because they had to get some paperwork together get their income together work on credit but my first outside sale came like six months in yeah six months. so like i had a weather storm for a minute yeah yeah <laughs> and no like there's a there's an end in sight i did the same thing as you actually i um uh, one, one of the first positions i took out of college was salary with commission on mm-hmm. top because i knew that you got to have some supplemental income in the beginning to, you know, have your, have your feet under you. And then I transitioned uh, to commission only once I had that consistent, you know, lead flow and things going. So it's a motivator uh, though. I feel yeah. like I work harder no, on outside sales than I did on inside. I worked hard on inside, but still having that, you know, there's make or break right now. But yeah. You also mentioned that you, whenever you were kind of scraping by, you're also doing Uber, Uber Eats, right? Yeah. I was like for that six months yeah i was like house hacking my house you didn't know you didn't care you were like i just need to get to the, I mean, the next yeah it sounds I wasn't like traveling free was time. vacationing yeah zero free yeah. time i'd work like you're, you're working around the eight clock. to eight eight to nine every day yeah but that's like, dedication me yeah, like you said no one taught you whenever you were younger so you kind of had to teach yourself and you probably you probably can squeeze 20 bucks longer than someone else can now yeah so that's kind of you know it's cool how that kind of happens and this is in like the reality of things this is an easy job like uh-huh. I'm yeah. not, not deployed working 12 hours a day, wearing 50 pounds of gear, walking through 120 degrees. Like, yeah. Would you do it again though? Oh yeah. To yeah. get to where I am today for yeah. sure. But you know, cold calling realtors and then Ubering at night to make ends meet relatively easy. It's not like the craziest thing. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Um, so back to, back to the goals. Um, what are your goals for the future? I know you talked a little bit about like your daily goals when you were, you know, meeting realtors and, and stuff, but do you have like a, um, anything that you're working towards any new things that you're working on in, in the business? Um, next year I'd like to produce 30 million in loan volume mm-hmm. and then long-term goals. I want to get up to 10 properties, 10 properties yeah. in, your, in your portfolio. Yeah. 10 properties or, or 10 doors. I know you have four doors, 10 properties and properties, 10 properties. Yeah. 10 properties. Gotcha. Okay. I think, I think that's I, a good goal. Yeah. hundred percent. I feel like at that point I can kind of like take the foot off the gas and maybe even be able to retire and just live off that kind of goes for other parts of life. So you have a property in Atlanta, you have a multifamily in Jacksonville. Where would you want your next property to be located? You think, you think here in Jacksonville or probably here in Jacksonville? Yeah. I like to acquire one ish a year. Mm-hmm. So I plan on staying here for a few years. So, Mm-hmm. And actually have them close by easier to manage and whatnot and that first one's a townhouse this the second one is a is a, is a duplex with an adu in the back um what do you see your next property being ideally a multifamily. yeah, yeah. a little harder to find but you know mm-hmm. if the right deal comes along i'm willing to get into anything i think houses with adus are a good opportunity right now if, mm-hmm. even like a renovation loan or construction loan building an ADU on yeah. house that mm-hmm. has a good rental rate by itself before you add that on right are you planning to use the the new conventional uh, down payment structure to acquire your oh, next one? If I bought another um, multifamily, 100%, I would. Yeah. So the, do you not have any more entitlement with your VA? Um, they raise it every year. So oh. I gain a little bit back, but I just about maxed it out. Okay. Yeah. So, so it would make sense to do the 5%. Yeah. Unless like I refinance one of my properties where maybe you take your like equity out, mm-hmm. I would refinance into a conventional loan for that purpose. Right. And then get more VA entitlement. Yeah. I would probably wait on the the refi for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, at the moment I'm good. I'll let that thing sit forever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at, at two and a quarter, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything with that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd shot. leave it right where That's, it's at. Yeah, you keep it there, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, you know, I wanted to bring up you know kind of hot topic, current event that uh, you know we're all going to be affected by, and that's the. Uh, lawsuit that's going on right now with the national association of realtors um and wanted to hear kind of both your input on you know what you think uh, of the situation and uh what's going on right now i think honestly that i looked into it a little bit but as far as i can remember in some of the conversations i've had with other realtors or, or people in the real estate game the last like 20 years they've been kind of up in arms about commissions and stuff to realtors and it's almost like they've always kind of had this or tried to have this like chokehold on our industry but it it never really pans out i think that if 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 agents can just continue to kind of set that expectation with buyers and sellers that hey this is the commission across the board we all have to work you know we all have jobs this is all how we make a living how we put food on the table how we keep our bills paid um i think with anything you're, you're always going to have people that disagree but i think the other thing too is this has kind of just been like a very long drawn out um situation and i, I honestly think we're going to be okay yeah i think we'll be okay i think we'll be okay yeah what do you think chandler i think we'll be okay with um like commissions in general but i haven't done a ton of research on it but i did see something proposed where buyers would have to pay buyers agents yeah yes. which i'm not the biggest fan of that just because a lot of people I, I work with especially being younger a lot of my real estate agents are younger we work with first-time home buyers that are on a tighter budget and three and a half percent down is all they can afford yeah 100 percent. normally having like three percent average houses let's say 300k mm-hmm. they need nine thousand for that and then let's say they need three percent for closing costs now they're at 18k 
mm. got to throw like another two percent on there now that they're going from 18 to 25 ish uh uh-huh. maybe a little so, more yeah yeah so it gets a little bit tougher for first-time home buyer i don't think you know people buying homes that are selling their first home are going to feel it as much um just because they're you know taking those profits and rolling into the next property yeah um but it definitely i think it would hurt and like it would make home ownership a little less accessible to you know yeah. that first generation home buyer lower income families things of that nature and i don't know why but i feel like there is like a like a small percentage of people that kind of have this weird like connotation against realtors like oh you know, I actually was, there's a house on, on, on seventh, on seventh Ave that I used to live on and they had a, a for sale by owner sign, but the, in big black Sharpie ink, it said no realtors. <laughs> so I was just like, how, like, do you, how do you expect how do you to expect, get anything? Cause done? then I see that as a realtor. I'm like, okay, I get it. These people probably think that realtors are just know-it-alls or, or they don't, they are entitled to any money, but like as a realtor, why would I want to take one of my buyers? To your properties if you're not even going to try to you know throw me yeah. a bone you know i could you know if, if i had a buyer that was interested in it so be it but it's just like that kind of just rubs you the wrong way off the get-go um but i mean again i think it's just one of those things that's kind of been ongoing and i think in the grand scheme of things will be okay but just you know kind of keep that that expectation and i think a lot of sellers actually know that they need to offer some sort of commission to help get their house sold because most people that are you know trying to sell a property like you said earlier they have jobs too yeah you know, they're busy all week you get, leave it up to you know someone like us you know to help you with the process and make it way more easier um and then you can kind of you know move on to the next one and do your thing and, and use us as a tool i yeah. agree um i think what a lot of people don't understand from the you know for sale by owner type situation is they they think that they can do it themselves yeah. you know what i mean they have this thought in their mind where it's like well i'll i'll just do it myself and i'll save six percent but it, it's actually statistically proven that properties that sell via agents on the market and through the MLS system are, I, I mean, 10% or more higher on purchase price yep. versus being sold for sale by owner. Mm-hmm. So if you're making that much more on the sale price, but you're paying out 6%, you're still net profiting more if you're selling it on the open market. Because when you're selling it for sale by owner, if you're if you're putting it, even if you're putting a sign in the yard, I mean, you're getting drive-by traffic and then you go and you put it on Zillow for sale by owner. That's a whole different column. If you, as a, a retail buyer, get onto Zillow to search for properties, it immediately takes you to the agent only listings mm-hmm. to even look at the for sale by owners. You have to go out of your way to go to the for sale by owner column. And then you're dealing directly with people and you know, without that experienced agent in between to help, you know, guide the transaction and the proper disclosures and addendums and things that it takes to to get to the end. Um, I mean, you're probably going to end up having to get an attorney to make mm-hmm. sure that the, the contracts and the documents are done correctly. Most agents know how, how to navigate that without mm-hmm. having to get an attorney involved. So you end up having more expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a, a common misconception that a lot of people can't grasp that are in that situation, but, you know, do the research and, and, and look into it and people will see, you know, it, it really is best to, to work with a professional to, um, you know, get any type of property sold. I think having the negotiation through a second party is super important too. Yeah. Because yeah. people are very attached to their homes. Most people aren't selling investment properties to right. other investment property owners. Mm. Most people, it's their primary home that they love. They think it's worth something selling it to someone else. Yeah. And things get heated. And oh, it gets, it gets yeah. nasty. You have to get people to reality. Middle, huh? They're able to like 
settle their side down, settle, settle the other side down, explain why they're asking for seller credits or, right. you know, why something needs to be repaired in a, in a calm way. Yeah. And I think that makes deals happen and go through. It's not you, you me calling you yeah. as you selling your home and telling you, you know, you have to fix that or I'm out. Like nothing yeah. hostile. It's very professional. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people don't have that directly. Acumen. It's emotional. It's an emotional process. Like you said, it's somebody's like, you know, they may have thought it was their forever home, but then something comes up for work or family or whatever it is and they have to move or they have to, you know, get rid of property for whatever reason. It, it's, it's an emotional process for them. Like you said, they may think it's worth more than mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. You have to bring people to reality to, to get transactions done. Um, so I think that's an important part of the process. It's oftentimes people's like most valuable asset too. So mm-hmm. just knowing that they don't want to kill their life savings. Like it's very personal. Yeah, 100%. How has, um, obviously, you got into um, your MLOs back in um, COVID times and interest rates were low. How has it been this year with interest rates being a little bit higher? Um, I've been studying a little bit tighter in my business. So mm-hmm. I've seen kind of a pickup like this will be my best year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a lot harder. Less people get pre-approved that come through the door just because rates are higher. Yeah. And a lot of my clients are first-time home buyers. For someone that owns, you know, $700,000 home and they're moving from New York and they're buying a $700,000 home in Florida. It's not too tough. A lot yeah, of have like exactly. a ton of equity, but for the person who got out of college has a 60 K salary, $500 car payment and some student loans, it's definitely tough. And mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. a lot more coaching of like, Hey, this is what you really want to do. You know, let's do this over the next 12 months. Let's work on paying down your credit cards mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe refinancing your car or trading it in, getting something else, and, uh-huh. you know, just guiding them and giving them the principles and understanding what it takes to buy a house that way, yeah. you know? So you're giving them all these different avenues to go through to obtain property. What are like some of like the most common objections you're dealing with right now? Um, I mean, a common one is rates, Yeah, which mm-hmm. is kind of, I work for a broker, mm-hmm. so we work with multiple lenders. So just kind of explaining like, here's what rates are. We price match most companies to an mm-hmm. extent as long as we don't lose money on it. So giving them the confidence to go shop around is huge for me. I'm just like, hey, go shop around, like do your mm-hmm. due diligence, get the best deal you can and showing them, you know, how to read closing costs, understand what they're paying for as yeah. far as rates, mm-hmm. telling them, you know, if you need a 6%, you know, we could pay for it. We can ask the seller for it, explaining mm-hmm. the dynamics of a negotiation, why that's important for them. And maybe like if one house won't give you seller credits, maybe that's not the house because right attached to a payment mm-hmm. right. if you want a payment this is what we need to do to get mm-hmm. you there yeah and i think that's a good thing too in, in today's market is kind of to utilize that seller credit interest rate buy down where you can get money back at closing to then you know help with that objection as oh my gosh interest rates are so high well hey get with an agent that can construct an offer that you know allows you to use some of the you know funds of a closing to then buy it down and get you into like a payment you want to be at are 100%. you using that a lot on your loans right now um i'd say like 90% of my loans come through with some form of seller credits. Uh-huh. Um, but if I was a buyer, I would be asking for max seller credits almost on anything. Yeah. Exactly. Did you do that on the triplex? Yeah. On the triplex I asked for max seller credits. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but it's just, you know, it's financially smart. Mm-hmm. If you, let's say you have a, did you do a fixed rate buy down or did you do a two one? Okay. I don't really like the two one buy down okay. just because the future is uncertain. Yeah. yeah. We never know what's going to happen. I don't want to, you're taking the market rate at the end of the day. You, yeah. you are. So yeah. if the rates you are have 8%, to qualify for it. Yeah. You might have a six first year, seven second year. But you have eight, three through 30. Uh-huh. I can't tell you where the market's going to be. I can tell you where we think it's going to be. Yeah. I'm not gambling on someone's well-being. Yeah. If they're not comfortable with that payment. I'd rather put them in a fix like 6.5. Yeah. For 30. You know, if the opportunity comes, refinance, refinance it. But, you know, mm. are we happy here? 
right okay cool worst comes to worst this is us yeah Yeah. i ended up getting a fixed six and a quarter recently and i was i was okay with that because i got five percent concessions from from the seller so i mean i was okay with that it's the way to do it getting seller credits dollar for dollar is more important for your payment than lowering purchase price Mm -hmm. yeah so if you lower someone's purchase price by ten thousand, it might change their payment by thirty dollars great if you get ten thousand seller credits, you could probably lower their payment to fifty. Yeah, so, which is huge. Yeah, especially yeah. for a buyer that's on a tight budget. Yeah, that could be like an extra fifty k in financing. Yeah, to get into the home they really want. Or right, that's a big difference. Hundred percent. It seems like your MLO process. You're not just you know originating loans. You're a therapist. <laughs> you're uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, yeah. A, a financial advisor uh, almost because you're helping people you know repair their credit and. Um, you know, pay things off and kind of structure deals to where, um, you know, you're probably trying to teach them things along the way. So, um, you know, would you say that's an integral part of your business? Oh, 100%. I think that's why I do well at my job. I Yeah. I got into it because I like personal finance. I didn't mm-hmm. know how to finance a house. I didn't know what goes into it. Mm-hmm. So now I kind of like know like tricks. I know what I'm looking for. Nobody knows what they're paying for in closing costs. Yeah. Right. No one's ever taught them. I've talked to people who have bought five houses and they still don't know what points are. Mm-hmm. So like just showing them a rate sheet, like, yeah. you know, any rates available to you. Some people will just try to force you to have so much points, but no one knows what it really means. Yeah. So just breaking things down, explaining to people, making them more savvy buyers that way, you know, yeah. maybe they move to a different state, use someone else next time. They know what they're doing uh-huh. or they're putting themselves in a smarter financial spot. Mm-hmm. You know, should we invest 5,000 in a rate today? What mm-hmm. will that look like on my weekly budget? Uh-huh. Or, you know, maybe we save the cash and take a higher payment because, you know, we can put that in another investment vehicle. So just having those conversations, figuring out their goals, you know, yeah. are your kids going to college soon, you need more savings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, figuring out that type of thing, you can really like craft a loan to, to someone's life. Yeah, for sure. What would you recommend to, you know, people that are interested in investing or buying properties right now that are kind of struggling with the state of the market? Um, if you're looking at buying properties, um, it's kind of tough. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely takes some time. You got to be patient. I think finding a good deal is the most important thing. Deals mm-hmm. that have been on the market, you know, 45, 60 days, maybe something that needs to be fixed up a little bit. Renovation loans yeah. are out there to where you can finance the cost of that um, and still put as little as 3% down. You can find a lot of value there. Um, asking for seller credits to get a lower rate, I think is important on any deal just because, you know, saving that cash flow monthly, not stretching yourself too thin is super mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's especially if it's your first deal, you don't want to go upside down on your first deal. Right. You know, finding a deal that makes a lot of sense and you're happy with can set you up for a bountiful future. Yeah. That's cool. So like knowing everything you know now, you know, growing up didn't really have, you know, much you said, didn't really know what you want to do out of high school, got into the military, uh, kind of entrepreneured your way through college, did some, you know, investing in stocks, crypto, bought your first townhouse, got into mortgages, own a triplex in San Marco, looking to buy another property this year what's like some advice you would give to the kid that was maybe in your shoes at 17 18 where he knows he wants to maybe doesn't have that financial guidance knows that he wants to make money knows that he wants to be successful knows that he wants to do all these things what would you tell to the kid that's you know maybe was in your shoes whenever you were um kind of trying to figure it out that 17 18 year time frame or 19 i would say get on youtube and read like YouTube and read if, if it's like finance and business there's mm-hmm. a ton of books out there for every sector you know pick up, pick up a real estate book pick mm-hmm. up uh rich dad poor dad pick up uh-huh. you know self-help books find out like what 
you're drawn to mm-hmm. and then dive into that a little bit deeper if it's real estate okay cool dive into it do you like insurance do you like mm-hmm. mortgages do you like real estate right you know do you want to wholesale do you want to house hack and i assume you know, there's a ton of different niches out there so mm-hmm. yeah you know if you can kind of narrow in on what you like or explore different topics i mean something's gonna hit you and you know just go at that full swing mm-hmm. stay disciplined right yeah 100. Yeah. is that something you're still doing are you still actively you know reading and and, and doing research on on different um, you know, investing strategies or, or whatever the topic might be. Uh, I listen to like 15, 20 minutes of an audio book every day. Uh-huh. Um, so I do that a good bit right now. I'm listening to like a landlording book. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a management company in Atlanta and we're landlording somewhat here. Uh-huh. Um, so just trying to gain more knowledge. A lot of it we kind of know just from being in real estate, talking about contracts and, mm-hmm. you know, the legalities of it, but just trying to, you know, gain some more knowledge or little tidbits here and there. That, What's you know, the best people. like financial advice book that you've read? Um, or maybe not financial. It could be self help or, or anything um, like that. Rich Dad Poor Dad was the first one that like really got me into like those types of books. Uh-huh. Uh, broken down really easily, and it makes sense for like a, a like grand scheme of finance. And then uh, the Richest Man in Babylon. It's kind of important. What was that one about? I don't think I've read that one. Um, it's about this guy back in Babylon and like his trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. Um, just lessons he learned along the way and uh-huh. the, learning about the value of a dollar and how to invest his coin in certain ways to produce more. Right. Um, it's like true stories. Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting to hear that where they talk about investing. We have it so easy. We can put it in a Roth and a 401k and uh-huh. these investment vehicles that we can automate. Back then it's like, he had to get a coin and give 10% to a random guy on the street and he like steal it. So like, he's learning about like how to safely invest yeah. like, in a different time. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of cool to hear like the tried and true um, ideas of finance and, you know, trying to grow your wealth that have, you know, still true today. You just have to kind of change how we implement yeah. it. I read um, a pretty interesting one um, that was actually by the, uh, president and founder of DLP Capital. Um, it was basically about, it was a, it was a long title, but it was about um, kind of building a, a business from, from the ground up mm-hmm. and, and, and what it takes. And uh, I would definitely recommend giving that a read. It's, it, it's a little bit more like CEO high level um, strategies, um, but very, very interesting, good read um, for anybody that that's interested um, to, to learn a little bit more about high level, uh, you know, business management practices for, uh, for an established company. That's by Don Wenner. Um, but, uh, yeah, you'll have to check that out. Um, so, you know, I appreciate, uh, kind of your words of wisdom, uh, that you've, you know, provided for, uh, you know, any viewers that are listening that are interested in, uh, you know, taking their mortgage or whatever business they have to the next level. Um, and, uh, is there, Anything else that you, you'd like to share? Um, I'd, I'd like to hear on a more non-finance related topic, your uh, thoughts of kind of Jacksonville for the future, especially with the, the Thunderdome coming in from, from the Jaguars. Um, I think Jacksonville has a bright future. I mean, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a warm city in the South. Right. Uh, one of the reasons I was moved to Atlanta, it was one of the major hubs that's kind of on the cheaper side. It's hard to just come out of college and go to Miami right away. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So Jacksonville has that feel to me too, where, you know, Tampa's already boomed, mm-hmm. super expensive. It's hard to start out in your career there. Miami's already there. Jacksonville's a great city. With, Jacksonville's you know, on the way. The median house here is cheaper than almost any major hub in the Southeast. Yeah. It's a great place to come start. They're putting in a lot of renovation. 
all the hotels going downtown the stadium even like next to my house they're building like a skate park under a bridge they're building new developments just a lot coming here i think mm -hmm. it's a great city yeah i remember Close you to talking the beach about the skate too. park yeah, yeah. How's, how's that coming along that's supposed to be done soon right i think it's like a 12-month project i don't think it'll be finished till next month but you definitely can tell they're putting money into the city here which is awesome yeah they're definitely putting a lot of money how much the city. i think with that that one that's going on with the um with the Jacksonville Jaguars, isn't that like two billion? How much is that? I don't want to think two two billions around the around two of like billion? all the hotels, and yeah, parks in the stadium, yeah, yeah, which is huge. Yeah, yeah they're, they're bringing bring a lot to downtown, and I hope that that like that Riverwalk area too. Mm -hmm. I think that'll make make a big difference. Um, obviously, you know, we still have like any downtown in any major city, you know, a little bit of a a homeless problem <laughs> in the downtown yeah. area. But I think that as they you know, continue to develop and kind of you know bring downtown jacksonville to the modern era it will, it will help significantly because i feel like jacksonville beach area is really the 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 major hub of um you know nice and affluent things to do um so i hope that they they bring that and and, and finish that out within the next couple of years i feel like i've been hearing about jacksonville on the rise over the last 10 15 years and it's finally starting to yeah. take hold so i hope that it continues to to move onwards and and upwards um, I'm pretty sure the developer of the stadium too is the same person who did um, the battering Atlanta. Okay. And then that area was kind of dead. They built that up. They put hotels, restaurants. It's like a whole new side of Atlanta to go hang out in. What yeah. town is that in? Uh, Smyrna. Smyrna. Smyrna, Marietta. It's northwest yeah. Atlanta. The battery is that by the, the baseball stadium? Yeah, it's a, they call the whole area the battery. So it's uh -huh. like the stadium, and then they have like an Omni Hotel attached, a couple of restaurants, but it's like a destination to go to for a night or a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So. So ideally if they new. do that with the jag stadium you know yeah we're just not tailgating out outside yeah. Yeah. Field, you know you got restaurants bars you got people coming in to stay at hotels a couple of businesses popping up and just you know the city yeah. growing even more with that. it's going to help everyone mm -hmm. yeah awesome well um what would you uh like to leave the viewers with on how you can uh be contacted or be reached and and uh how you can help them yeah of course um my name is Chandler Pear, phone number 850-341-3923 if you ever want to talk about finance, mortgages, real estate, you know, getting out of college, kind of figuring out what you want to do. Feel free to reach out. I'd love to help you out. And if you are ever interested in becoming an MLO, want to have that type of conversation, I'd love to help you and tell you the steps to get you know, where you need to be. Awesome. Thanks, man. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Um, we really it. appreciate <laughs> you coming through. Obviously, we've been friends for a long time. and. I've done business together, closed some deals together um, on on the mortgage side and and on the real estate side, and um, you know I'm I'm happy that uh, you came on and we'll continue to foster our friendship and our business relationship moving forwards. And um, uh, I appreciate everybody tuning in to uh, the podcast. Um, you know, be uh, on, tuned in. We've got more on, on the way, and uh, we're super excited for all the guests and different uh, business avenues that we're going to be discussing moving forward. So uh, stay tuned into in the next one. And uh, I'm Bryce Osepic. This is uh, the Journey Up an Entrepreneur's Guide, and we'll see you on the next one.